Use the Play. Kind of a different title, huh? I'm wondering what you guys are thinking, this title, just by seeing it, like what you were thinking. And what's funny is I never really feel called to share with you kind of why I named an episode after, you know, whatever title it is listed after, except this one. I've been sitting on this one and I'm like, oh man, I really got to use this. And so here's a fun fact. I never know the title of an episode when I'm interviewing a guest until I'm in the guest recording with them. And if they say something that really just hits me or moves me in a certain way, I take a little mental note of that and then I figure out how to incorporate that into a title. And so that's how we've come on with Use the Play. Use the Play is a play on word, no pun intended. And this guest, I cannot wait for you to hear, but she literally has created a play, but it is full of impact. But I thought it would be a great reminder for all of us to be reminded to use the play that we have. All of us have one. All of us have impact. And so it was just a friendly reminder for all of us in the title of today's episode, a little Easter egg, if you will. So let's get right into it. I am so excited for today's guest. Her name is Hannah. She is all the way from the United Kingdom. She comes with major impact purpose, but also so much intentionality and self-awareness that I am so grateful for that she is going to bless all of us today. Hey, Thrivers. Welcome to Bless for This Mess, a podcast where we talk about the blessings in the middle of life's mess. I am Annie Morgan, the host of this podcast, a special needs mama sharing all the mess of this unexpected journey, but importantly, how we have found the blessings in them by choosing to live a life undefined by our circumstances. So think of me as your bestie, one who loves you deeply, but also isn't afraid to call some things out to truly help you activate the thriver that is already in you. Whether you are new or returning here, I am so glad you are here, but it doesn't end here. So be sure to follow me on Instagram at Bless for this mess so we can connect even more. If you're enjoying this podcast, girl, let it be known by leaving a rating and review. It helps other thrivers find this podcast that haven't yet. All right, thrivers, let's hear the blessings in today's episode. Awesome. Well, Hannah, I am so excited. You are just across the pond in the UK. Like what? <laughs> so cool. Um, so here's what's exciting. You were born three months premature. Um, my son was yeah. one month premature. So one month was already like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine what your mom was experiencing in that moment of like, oh, baby's coming really early. So um, definitely just like kind of walk us through like your life was pretty eventful from like the moment you were born. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I would have loved to have been like a fly on the wall for my like in the room at that time because I actually like gate crashed my mom and dad's wedding anniversary. So I think they were like, I think like one or two years in like have been married and um yeah, my mom was like going for a scan and um, they were like, oh, by the way, like, forget your date. Like, your baby's coming now. So oh she was my like, God. oh, gosh. 
I know, it's crazy. But yeah, so um, I was born three months premature, and then um, when I was born, they found like a murmur in the heart, but that's obviously quite common um, in babies who are born premature. So they didn't really, they didn't question it really, but I was still quite poorly, so they kept me in for a long time. I think I was in for about three months or so, give or take. Um, and then um, six months in, I caught basically I caught meningitis. Um, obviously, I don't really remember how that feels because I was a baby, but quite serious. Right. And, and basically, that was kind of like the first blessing in disguise, I guess, because um, it's whilst I was actually being treated for meningitis that they discovered that I had something a lot bigger with the heart. Um, and that thing is called complicated Epstein's anomaly, which is a rare form of congenital heart disease. Um, so yeah, that was like a whirlwind experience, I guess, for my parents. Um, and I think for me growing up, like I've not been someone who's really dug into the science behind the problem because as a young child, obviously I, I don't really take care of that myself. Like at three or four, I'm not like right. in charge necessarily <laughs> of, what's, of what's going on. All I knew is that I had like a poorly heart and like sometimes my lips were blue or purple and I like, I look a bit like a smurf, like a bit discolored. Okay. Now um, would you, cause I know it like can cause like a heart arrhythmia did that like affect like maybe when you were playing at all like did you feel like maybe like it was just winded or yeah so it's like it, it's, it's something to do with arrhythmia and then because of like it's the tricuspid valve that's effective and then I had a hole in the heart as well so there was quite a lot going on but it meant that growing up like I was quite poorly a lot of the time so there would be arrhythmia that they couldn't quite understand. Um, and obviously they knew from a really young age, like pretty much from when I was a baby, that I would need like life-saving treatment. But the thing for them is that they wanted my heart to grow as much as possible before they actually intervened. Um, so in terms of like going to school and stuff, it was a little weird because I was like, I was tiny, first of all, like really, really petite in size and I still am. Um, but I was really, really like quite slim and like had a lot of trouble eating and all things like that. Um, so that's quite hard. Like, and also just, you know, explaining to children that like when you're a child yourself, that, okay, like I'm, I'm not going to be here today because I'm going to the hospital and, you know, like you might not see me for a while or, or, or things like that, I think affected me quite a lot in terms of like I missed out a lot of the peer yeah um, like friendship stuff um and also like I, I had trouble with um like circulation and breathing so I couldn't run as fast as people and I couldn't you know I couldn't always do the things that they were doing so in that like perspective yeah it's a bit of a a knockback but I think to be honest like I found my own way of doing things I enjoy without sort of feeling left out so, Can yeah, I take I you back for a moment? So yeah, go for it. here's what's really interesting. So obviously I have Ava who has had to do things different. She's had to work really yeah. hard at things that other children, it comes easier for them. I'm hearing that in your story already. And, but you have the perspective from the act, like you're the one that's walking this out. Whereas I'm the mom to the daughter, you know? 
So I want to know, like, for you, when you started to, like, make that change of, like, okay, I might not be able to do it just like them, but I can do it a little bit different, but I'm still going to make the best of it, and I'm going to, like, show up and try. Like, was that something that your parents taught you, or do you think that that was just something where you had the desire to not let those circumstances kind of hold you back, or what was it? I think it's a bit of both. Like, I'm quite a determined person, but I get that determination from my parents and my environment. And also, I think, like, going through it yourself, there are times you're like, oh, I really can't, I can't do this anymore. But actually, it's the environment. Like, if the environment can help push you through, then it's a lot easier, I think, to, like, pick yourself up. And I think for me, like, it was about seeing all the small victories, um, that would come with it rather than always thinking of like the bigger picture um and I think my my parents were very were very much into that as well sort of like taking it one step at a time and and to be honest I I get asked things like that quite a lot to be fair because I'm I'm quite a like go-to person like I'll just you know forget whatever and just have a go um, and I definitely get that from my parents because my parents just, they wanted me to be like that anyway. So I was never really, um, in the UK we have like a saying like, which is like moddy coddled. I don't know if it's the same, but I was never like wrapped in, in bubble wrap. Yeah, that's um, so funny. I so, actually talked about wrapping our children in bubble wrap, like how that can yeah. <laughs> have a negative effect impact on our kids. Yeah. So that, that's really great. Like, yeah. That's so incredible. So you started as a young kid. You're like, okay, I'm just going to find a way. Like I'm going to make this happen and not be held back. Now you said that you had to wait. Obviously the doctors wanted to wait for your heart to develop a little bit more. What age were you when you had your first surgery? So I was nine years old. Okay. So by nine, which is I think 2004 now. Um, so yeah, I think by then it was kind of like, I'm wearing a bit thin, <laughs> so let's maybe try and do something. And I think it's really funny for me because now when I think back to that moment, I think I'm more scared as an adult than I was ever a child. Um, and I think like that's an element of this whole thing that really fascinates me because now it's like, let's go for an injection or like a blood test and I'll like freak out. Um, but as a young child, I think when you grow up sort of in that environment, it's like, okay, you know, like this is this is like the normality and this is what, you know, I, I was used to. Um, but yeah, so I had my first, I had open heart surgery at nine years old. So that was about, I think, nine, ten hours long. Um, so quite a, a, long, a long time. Um, yeah, it was, it was strange. I think... Oh, I think as children, you don't realize how nervous you are about things. And I'm really grateful because my parents documented the whole process. Oh, wow. Um, and as, as long, like, as hard as it is to sort of look back at those pictures and be like, oh, wow, it's also really nice for me because in the moment, I, I sort of didn't really know what was going on. And you can see, so for example, now when I look at the pictures, I like look pale as anything so yes obviously I was nervous but in the moment you don't like I don't remember exactly the feeling Mm -hmm. in the moment so so I'm I'm really glad that they took the time to sort of do that do you feel like as an adult like looking back at all of what they documented it kind of 
drives a deeper purpose now of how you walk out your life by seeing like, wow, like I really went through some big major events in my life as a young Mm -hmm. child and I've made it. Do you feel like it's impacted you in any way by like seeing it? I think it does. I think it's one of those things it's like touch and go. Because for example, if I'm like feeling really bad about something or having a really bad day, at times they're not the best thing to encourage me because then I, I go so deep into like, oh, this is what happened. And like I start questioning a lot of things. But on the flip side of that, there's a really great element of it that's kind of like, yeah, basically just what you just said, which is like, yeah, wow, like I did that. Like my body, my body did that really. Um, and like, you know, that that's really amazing. And, you know, I have, I have had more surgeries since then. So. Okay, so then you mentioned that you had multiple sh- surgeries after that. It was a total of yeah. two after that surgery? No, so I've had about four, four to- after that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I had, with the last one being, I had a pacemaker implanted when I was 16, um, which was quite bizarre. Um, that was quite bizarre for me because my, my parents were really reluctant to let me have one because obviously their batteries, they run, they're battery operated and they have to be changed after a certain amount of time. Um, And obviously the younger you put it in, you know, the more surgeries you're likely to have and perhaps more problems because as young people were more active than sort of the older generation, I guess, like the older, older generation that you would typically have in your mind to have a pacemaker. Um, So it was this like really weird back and forth like situation between me and my parents and the doctors because I was feeling really awful so it was um a particular arrhythmia so what happened basically I'll backtrack just slightly when I had my open heart surgery I was fine for a good few years and then I hit 12 years old and I started suffering with something called um tachycardia SVT which is basically really, really fast heart rate, like ridiculously fast. Um, And so I had three surgeries to try and correct that because every time they went in, they basically have to get your heart into that fast rhythm to be able to correct the problem. And it's hard to do that if you're under general anesthetic or things, you know, like sometimes your body just doesn't cooperate. Um, So I had to have three of those for them to finally be able to like get the right spot and and solve the problem. But then I ended up um, suffering really badly with um, arrhythmia and ectopics, which is like extra heartbeats and my heart sort of fluctuating um, in and out of things. (laughs) And, And so, yeah, so then it was like, I was feeling really bad because and the, the problem was is that they're not necessarily dangerous. They're not dangerous arrhythmias, like you can live through them. But it was finding the right coping mechanisms for me that I could actually go into school and spend a whole day in school without then feeling really tired or really unwell or really nauseous. Um, and so I, I pretty much, like, from 12 to 16, sort of it was this ongoing of like I was having therapy I was trying to like sort it out so that I could like cope with it and then it got to about 16 17 and I remember like one afternoon I just turned down to my mom in like meltdown and I was like I can't 
like I physically can't carry on like this because it, I just feel I know it's not dangerous and mentally I know all of the facts and I know all of the science behind it now but it's draining me physically and I I can't you know if I can't keep up with the world around me and do the things I really enjoy then for my mental health is that's not okay um and so we decided at that point that okay like we'll we'll see what they kind of say at the at the hospital and go from there and then it was decided to sort of put one in and now I'm basically like 95% paced so like by the machine okay so yeah I suppose it was worth it (laughs) (laughs) does that like impact you as an adult in any way now like do you feel like it's maybe like held you back in any way or do you just feel like nope this is just another piece of my story and it's just helping me continue on in the mission that I'm on yeah, I. It's really hard because I feel like it goes both ways. Like I feel like had had I had this perspective I do now when I was younger, I would have said don't go for a machine. I would have said like go and explore alternative therapies. Like go and explore the wider world. Go and seek private care if you need to. Go like just go and get different opinions from different people and basically explore the holistic world as well because I really did not know about any of that side of sort of anything of any sort of you know how powerful the body can be in healing itself and especially for like things like arrhythmia and things like that it can be really strong um and I've done a lot more work in that area now and now I'm like ah light bulb like probably if I had been disciplined enough to do it you know maybe I wouldn't have the machine right now but then on the other hand of that I felt so like just not right in my body and in my mind that had I maybe gone to something holistic at that point I wouldn't have stuck it out because my you know I wasn't maybe mature enough to to actually stick to, to an alternative sort of therapy or route um so it like goes two ways and you know like there are days I still get everything here and there are days where I panic a lot because you know like something doesn't feel quite right or you know and I think then it becomes something more mental and you have to learn to like hone in on that and and be like okay you know I felt this before and it, it's safe and it's fine so like take a few deep breaths and then move on with your day yeah <laughs> So you talked about holistic healing and really kind of being more aware of that as you started to mature and get older and probably were just more aware of you. And that seems like that's a really big piece in your story today is that's so I'd love to hear a little bit about that, especially too, when you're talking about mentally kind of having this pep talk with yourself of like, hey, you're panicking, you're trying to operate in a place that you can't control. So what can you control? And let's kind of assess some things out. So I would love to hear kind of your journey in this holistic healing and, and all of that. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I, I had tried, but when I was going to have my pacemaker put in, my parents had sent me to like a breath work specialist. And I basically had no discipline because I think a lot, a lot of the healing that comes from within, it takes time. And when you haven't got the patience or the mind, you know, like when you want a quick fix and you're like, no, I just want to 
feel better full stop um so i really didn't stick to that very well and then interestingly enough it's not actually my heart that caused me to explore um like the holistic side of things because i was like oh like i'm i'm really well treated medically you know like i have the machinery like technology is advancing blah 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 but i always had um, really really bad periods growing up like really bad um I had a lot of acne a lot of like self confidence problems and um i was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries polycystic ovaries syndrome and endometriosis um but because of the heart they couldn't go in because they were like we don't want to put you under because you're too high risk um and then every pill that they gave me was kind of like a plaster or like a band-aid mm-hmm. like on top of the problem without actually getting to the root yeah and i guess i sort of just had this light bulb moment i was like i'm so sick of being in pain for my periods and i had at that point started to explore like meditation and mindfulness because the pain i was having in my ovaries was always on the right side of my body and so three times in a row i was admitted to hospital because they thought it was my appendix and it it was never my appendix but mentally that triggered something in me that every time i was in pain i was like oh my gosh like it's my appendix i need to go and be seen i like and it just got to a point where i was like this needs to stop like mentally i need to be in such a stable place that i can just say okay this is not my appendix like let's not jump to conclusions and let's like figure it out and so that's when i started exploring the whole sort of realm of like meditation and holistic healing i did cognitive um brain training therapy um which really really helped and through that i was introduced to someone who really focused on like meditation and sort of energy healing and then i you know i was like right okay that there's so much more to this that i can learn um as so i just started to do my own research and i it's weird because as soon as you sort of open up to that world i guess i started to realize that i had a lot of friends as well who I, who i knew well but obviously didn't know that well because they also had like their foot in that kind of world but because it's not really spoken about all the time it's like well okay like i just i just didn't realize basically as so i started to make these connections with different people and some of my mom's friends had seen like even just something as simple as like a reflexologist or someone who does like acupuncture and i i just started giving different things a go um and then i started to realize that actually everything is basically in my control and in sort of like my surrounding environment so obviously like i mentioned before how my parents used to treat me you know that has helped me massively because it gave me the confidence to be like okay I'm going to go and do my own research and I'm I'm going to do whatever um and you know I spent a lot of time traveling when I was I mean I'm not like so old but like when I was like just coming out of sixth form I think I don't know I don't know what the equivalent for that like just before university basically okay um I spent some time traveling um and again like if I hadn't done if I if I had had the parents and the like support that I'd had going through the really bad times I wouldn't have felt brave enough to be like yeah I'm going to get on a plane to like Costa Rica or Canada or wherever um and it's in those little pockets of like me time and exploration that I started to look at and visit different um basically healers is what I like to call them um and then 
I saw a healer, I think, last year. I mean, I see, like, lots of different people, but um, he basically told me this really interesting thing, that I was, like, moving along in, like, my journey and my story and my life. But actually, because I had a very, like, deep root, uh, like a rooted connection to what had happened, like the trauma that had happened. Mm-hmm. And that and, until I like actually can fully let go of that, I can't actually create a new story for myself. Right. Um, and I found that so fascinating because, you know, like sometimes I think like raising awareness and doing all these things is really good and so great for other people. And I, you know, I, like I used to have, I started a blog and I used to share my blog and it was all about raising awareness and educating people. And then when he said that, it was like everything sort of just fell into place. And I was like, as much as I love doing that, to some extent, I'm putting my, I'm putting one foot like back into the pain and the trauma of everything. And with the other foot, I'm trying to like move on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, you can't do that if you're, you can't fly if you're like stuck on the ground, anchored by something. Um, so I just, I started to explore more the, the wellness side of it. What, what do I do that makes me feel well? Yes, I know like internally there are things that are still very damaged, but what makes me feel good and how can I now use that as a way of like sharing and raising awareness rather than dipping into the sad story all the time. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, and I really love that because I feel like that's really aligned with kind of why I started this also was because like, yes, I'm so big on the awareness of understanding that like how we operate today usually is because of the roots that we are either born with because of generational transfer, being raised by our parents, they transfer stuff down to us. Um, Or it's through things that we put ourselves through planned or unplanned And some of the roots in our garden, I call it a garden, us, you know, some of the roots that we have are toxic. They're traumatic. So what do we do with those? How do we use those and either say, okay, I'm going to use this and create something beautiful from it. Or I'm going to say this actually is causing more damage around my garden. So I need to pull it out. The only way that I can pull it out is being aware of what is actually going on with me internally, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it. So I love that. I feel like that's really connected. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to sit down and really give you this moment to share your story. But I wanted to be impacted by it too, because it's so aligned with what I'm doing. And I love that. So you also, and I know that like you're taking a transition into more of like the healing side of it and more of like, I need to move forward in a positive way. And sometimes revisiting the trauma too much can be damaging. But you started to really actually go around and start educating people. And I think that that's something that, honestly, I love that you didn't just walk through something so challenging and life-changing, but you decided, I'm going to use this to actually help other people. And I love that. So if you want to talk about that and we'll kind of start to wrap up here, it goes by so fast, but um, we'll kind of wrap up there. And then if there's anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap up, it's totally up to you. So I'll give you the floor on that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Like on the education front, like I still, 
I still do that to an extent, but for me, I had to, I had to start to do it behind the scenes. So whereas before I was very, very open about everything that I was doing, I'm very vulnerable, and I had no issue with that. Um, and my sort of education came from like when I was 16 and I had that really bad time. I wrote a play about my life because I was in such a bad place. I was like, ah. I, I wrote a play with one of my mum's friends and we like performed it and we took it around the country in the UK and it was and it was really, really great. And from that is where this sort of spiral of like public speaking and people wanting to know more. And then um, I went through a transition phase from children's to adult care here in the UK, which is unfortunately not to the best of standards. Um, you go from like really loving, nurturing, amazing environments as children to sort of like really big white walls, patients a lot older than you. And for me, that's the really thing that hit home for me. I was like, wow, I've just gone from this like really secure place, feeling where I really like feeling like I really belong somewhere to sort of just being like a number in the system. And I was like, this is not okay. So I started to use the play and the followers that I had from the play to then educate around, okay, how can we make this experience different for other young people going through our healthcare system? Um, and again, like that stemmed very much from, you know, the support I had from my parents because I was like in tears one evening, like just basically explaining that I didn't want to become an adult in the system, that I was really scared. And basically, my dad just took one look at me and he was like, do you know what, like, instead of crying about it, just get up and do something about it. Um, so you can see that my parents have that sort of mentality of just get up and go and find a solution. You know, if it's like that for you, it could be like that for others. So go and do something, but do it in a good, in a good way. Um, and so I, I still do that, but I used to, with the blog and the play, I used to share all of that. And now I think I'm just slowing down. So I still write for a lot of medical journals um, about my own experiences and the transitions and just the disease in general. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like, just like you say, just taking a step back and being like, okay, like we're all good for now, like touch wood, everything is fine. Um, and, and I think as well, like, it's that thing of, like, I had, my voice had been used for so long and heard by so many, um, but I realised that as well. So what I spoke about earlier, when I was younger, I found things that I loved that other children didn't maybe do. And for me, that was singing and theatre. And I realised that during the time that I was educating others around the illness, I stopped doing the things that I love. Okay. So now I'm... I'm like dipping back into that now. So I do, do all of that stuff sort of behind the scenes and now I'm like, okay, now is my time to let go of that and step into step into the thing that allowed me to escape from like the reality of my own world at times. Um, and so I think like if I was to speak to my younger self, I think it would just be just like take it as it comes and, and let go when the moment is right because it's not it's not always the right moment to let go like i had people for years tell me you know forget about it do this do that and i think you have to it has to come from you like it has to, you know everything is planted within you for a reason everything happens to you for a reason i believe and it's your choice as to when you like let go you let go of those you know 
trees or bigger branches, branches of the tree, and think, okay, that's that's part of me, it's ingrained, but it doesn't define me, and now I'm going to go and explore the things that I enjoy or do something I've never done before. I think, yeah, I think I would say that to, to sort of like my younger self because I think I lost a lot of confidence and a lot of, I don't know, a lot of, of time worrying so much about what my body was doing and I forgot for a short period of time to actually just enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, like with all the sharing, I, I, I love it and I love the vulnerability but I always used to think, like, if I was going to a speaking engagement, at the end of the day, all those people would walk home and be inspired, yes, by all means. But actually, I was always the one walking out with the disease still entangled in my body. And mentally, that can be so challenging because you're like, you've just watched 300 people cry about, you know, what you've delivered to them. But you're the one going home with, with the bigger problem at the end of the day. Yeah. So, you know, like finding the balance and just having the confidence to just leave it, leave it, let it sit there and and move on. I love that. Um, I have a lot of, and I don't want to say like, I love that. And then I'm moving on. Like I genuinely, I love yeah, the yeah, awareness yeah. that you have of like, Hey, yes, I care about making other people like be aware for themselves, for, you know, their community, the understanding. But I also have this awareness of myself that it's time for me to listen to me and say, okay, like I deserve, you know, to actually take time for myself, which I genuinely am like really proud of you for even just doing that. Because I feel like so often we don't. I have a lot of moms that listen to this podcast, a lot of families with children that have special needs. Um, yeah. One thing that I don't know if you can give a perspective on, but just the, like how your parents raised you to kind of keep going and kind of encouraging you to find a way and maybe yeah. not bubble wrapping you so much. Is there something from your perspective that you could share with the moms listening that maybe question, you know, because they want the best for their child. And so sometimes they bubble wrap in fear of making sure that they're okay. But is there something that you can share with them of like, hey, mom, like, we can take the bubble wrap off a little bit. And here's through my perspective. Yeah, I think for me, like, and it's really interesting, because because of the environment I've grown up in, like quite a hospital based environment, I've met so many other children with so many other difficulties. And it's always really interesting to sit and, and listen and be inspired and be like, okay, what do you do that maybe my mum doesn't do? Or, um, you know, it's, it's not like an environment that I'm unfamiliar with um, either. I think for me, one of the biggest things is like, like having the patience to let things fruition, like come to fruition. So for example, like I used to struggle with like really small tasks sometimes. And I remember if, if someone used to come and do it for me, my mum would always be like, no, because actually like that's my victory to have. Like that is my small victory to have in that moment. Um, and I see it a lot, like I do quite a lot of volunteering for charities who work with like quite serious um, serious little children or um, special educational needs in schools. And I think out of all the things that I've learned, that's the biggest thing that sticks in my mind is that 
yes, okay, this child might take 10 minutes to read a sentence next to me right now, but that's fine because that's their victory to have. It's not, it's not mine to take away from them. So I think patience is a really big thing. And also, I think for me, something that I would have liked to have more of is moments where my parents are like, we're proud of you for doing that. Because I think sometimes if, if you get so caught up in the sort of the illness, the treatment and this, that and the other. And for me, I think I wish there had been times where my parents had been like, you know, like we're proud of you for doing this, even if it was not illness related. Um, and obviously I, I know I know they're proud in the way they do things and, you know, they show me that they're proud. But I think sometimes just a little sentence or a little, you know, like you did a good job kind of thing <laughs> would, have, like, would have pushed me even more, I think. So yeah, patience and just like a pat on the back here and then. And also like as parents, just like rest for yourselves. Like sometimes mm. I see my mum is like so caught up in everything. And I'm like, I'm of an age now where I say to her, you need to, you need to calm down, like you need to stop. And I think sometimes that can actually be the hardest thing because I, having gone through it, have learned that when my body says rest, my body means rest. Yeah. But she, she hasn't, she hasn't been through the cycle. She's watched it from, you know, and emotionally she's gone through, you know, incredible, you know, amounts of pain. And I, I don't know how, how she's done it. It's admirable. But I wish now that when I said to her, take a break, she would actually go and do it. Yeah. Because otherwise it's like, I feel like it's an injustice, like to her, you know, for her, for herself and her body. Um, you know, to run herself down because of something that's out of her control. Mm. I'm so glad you said that. I'm going to leave it there. Um, I think it's important that mom's here. It's important for us to give ourselves a rest, our body a rest, especially when there's things that we're trying to do that are out of our control. Um, But that's a mom's love for sure, but a parent's love. But Hannah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to connect with you all the way from the UK. You were such a blessing. I'm so grateful for you. Seriously, like I, you know, I told you this was going to impact somebody and I don't think you realize this actually really impacted me in my journey as a mom to Ava. So I'm so grateful that we were able to take this time. And again, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Lovely to meet you. Hey, Thriver. Can you believe our time here is already up? Ugh, goes by so fast. But I am so grateful that you have stayed to the very end of this episode. If this episode connected with you, let me know by leaving a rating and a five-star review. And be sure to meet me over on Instagram so we can connect even more. All right, Thrivers, until next time, I hope that you find the blessings in the middle of your mess wherever you may be.